This podcast is proudly brought to you by Sky Racing and Inglis, number one in its field. Richard Friedman has already crammed two lifetimes into one, and at 57, he's just getting warmed up. He surprised many people when he returned to horse training in his own right after a stint pre-training horses at Hawkesbury for his brother Michael. This followed a period of about 15 years away from racing, during which time he built himself a very solid career in the media. Richard has worked for the 10 Network, the 7 Network, Sky Racing Radio, Sky Racing Television, Radio Triple M and Channel 9's Wide World of Sports. His laid-back style, his sometimes bizarre sense of humour and his strong opinions have earned him a very good following in the media. As far as horse training goes, all he has to do is draw on the knowledge gained from his years with the all-conquering FBI, Friedman Brothers Incorporated. Great to catch up with Richard Friedman. Thanks for joining us on the podcast, Rich. It's a pleasure, Tappy. Bizarre sense of humour. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I couldn't think of a better word. <laughs> That's probably pretty accurate. <laughs> I, I tried hard, but that one kept coming back to me. <laughs> now, Rich, you and I had many a conversation at Sky Channel over the years, and I can't recall you ever dropping a hint that you might come back to training in your own right. How did it happen? Well, it's a long story, but I'll try and keep it short. Um, when I was pre-training those horses for Michael Friedman, when he was training in Sydney before he went to Hong Kong, um, you know, I, I started to really enjoy working with horses because I love horses. I've always loved horses. You know, they're my favourite. I think they're the most beautiful animal on earth. So once I got back into doing that, I kind of got the, the itch to want to do a bit more. And added to that, my, my son, Will, uh, expressed a desire to be a horse trainer, which was quite a, uh, a shock to me, too, because for a long time, he'd never showed any interest in it either, but he, he, he caught the bug and, you know, he, he started to work with me out there, and I could see that he was committed to it, so I thought, well, um, you know, I'm enjoying it, I want to do it, he's committed to it, well, we'll have a crack. Now, Rich, to be a horse trainer, you need owners. Where did the owners come from when you were re-establishing? Well, it's a, it's a tricky thing, you know. I've been away from it a long time, so a lot of the old Friedman owners were still there, but a lot of them, you know, have moved on to other things. Um, I leveraged some of the ones that I've had a long relationship, both formerly with Friedman Brothers and since in the media, so I, I got a few horses from those people, and few of Michael's clients, when he went uh, to Hong Kong, uh, they left horses with me. I'd been pre-training some horses for James Cummings and at the time as well. And uh, when he went to Godolphin, uh, a few of his clients kindly uh, left some horses with me. So I, I didn't have many when I started. When we moved to Rose Hill, uh, when the, the lease was up at Hawkesbury and you know it was just too big a facility for me to carry on training there, um, I moved to Rose Hill, only took nine horses. But, you know, we've grown that pretty solidly since. A few special horses have helped you to re-establish, and the most notable is the enigmatic Orvray, who won four races in France before coming to Australia, 
John Thompson had him for a while. Darren Weir had him for a while. He obviously wasn't putting in, Rich, so he presented a real challenge to you. He's a funny old customer all day. You know, he's not the best horse I've ever trained or had anything to do with, but I tell you what, he's one of the most important to me. And um, look, from day one, we realised that he had some very good trainers and they, they'd had no success with him. And so we had to do things a bit differently. You know, there's no point doing things the same way. You just get the same result. So we tried a few different things with him. He was a horse that at first to me appeared like he might want to be kept on the fresh side because both Darren and John Thompson, are, you know, they do put plenty into their horses, plenty of work. And, um, you know, I thought, let's keep him fresh, which worked the first time I ran him in a Hawkesbury Cup. He was very fresh and he, he ran a very good race ran fifth, mm. and uh, we thought, oh, we're on to something here. Took him to Brisbane after that, kept him fresh, and that was a disaster. So mm. <laughs> and we thought, no, no, that doesn't work. He, he got beaten a total, I think, of, of uh, in two starts in Brisbane, a total of uh, over 90 lengths. Mm, <laughs> so it's yeah. clearly not working. Brought him back to Sydney, and kindly China Horse Club, who owned the horse, who, you know, left him with me, that had a go at him. They basically deleted him from the system. They'd written him off. And uh, they said, look, do your best, and if you get a result, well, that's a bonus for us because we've written him off. And, um, you know, we, we started to work him the opposite way, much harder. We stripped a lot of weight off the horse, and we started working him twice a day, um, six days a week, and working him on the seventh day as well, just the once. So, you know, he was copying more than any other horse, and he was taking it, and he was thriving on it. And then his form, we just kept running him in races, and his form just started to turn around until finally won a race at Randwick over 2,400 metres and mm. uh, we've gone on from there. Well, you've won two Group 3s with him, the Colin Stephen and the Sky High. He's run second in two Newcastle Cups and one of his best runs was in a Sydney Cup when he ran fourth. You were just over a length from the winner. I thought he was a little unlucky in the, the Sydney Cup as well. He got shuffled back at the wrong time and uh, ended up giving away far bigger start than we ever intended, and we ran them down to a length, and, you know, I thought with a bit of luck he would have won that Sydney Cup, but it wasn't to be, but, you know, that's racing. But, um, look, he, he's been terribly genuine since we, we've got him truly fit, and I think that's the key with him. When he starts to hurt from being not as fit as he can be, then he, then he wants to give up. While he's fit, he'll try all, all day. Richard, I could tell watching the Channel 7 coverage on Melbourne Cup Day that you were quietly chuffed uh, to get him that far, to have him in a Melbourne Cup. He beat three or four home. It must have been almost as good as winning. Oh, no. <laughs> winning is definitely better. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. But I know what you mean. Look, to get him there from where he came from, they bought him you know, years before, three or four years before, I think they paid well over a million dollars for him and they bought him to run in the Melbourne Cup, China Horse Club. And, and, you know, he got the opportunity. He qualified in Australia, which is pretty hard to do these days, given the, you know, the opportunities that foreign horses have to qualify. And um, I, I said to them, look, he's qualified for the Melbourne Cup. He's fit and healthy enough. I, I was honest with him. I said, I don't think he can win a Melbourne Cup. I don't think he's, he's a good enough you know, two-miler to win a Melbourne Cup. But he was certainly, at this stage, make the field. And they said, look, we bought him down in a Melbourne Cup. Our members would like to see a horse in a Melbourne Cup, so run him. So we did. 
Shalmaneser has given you a lot of satisfaction. He was almost eight years old when you got hold of him and you've travelled him around a bit, Richard. You've been all over the place and you won a Tari Cup and he was placed in a couple of others in the bush. Yeah, he was also placed in a Wild Cup and he ran second in the Colin Stephen at Rose Hill, which over 2,400 metres, which is, you know, a bit of a surprise to me with him. He hadn't won a race in three years and it's not because he'd been you know, mistreated or anything. But there are a few little things, once again, that, you know, I've gathered over a lifetime with horses that we sort of discovered about him and about how he's got to be managed. And uh, once you get those horses with a bit of talent, you know, once you get them in the slot, once you resolve their issues and, and get them feeling good about being in training and racing, and it's surprising how much they can turn it around, even at, at the, you know, the grand old age of eight, you know, I seem to have a knack with these eight-year-olds that haven't won in three years. I said to someone at the race the other day, I said, don't send me a seven-year-old that hasn't won in two years. There's no challenge for me. (laughs) (laughs) You should put a little ad on your website, wanted eight-year-olds who haven't won for three years. (laughs) (laughs) You know what, Tay? You've got to be careful what you wish for. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. Vontaine, Rich is a mare with a fair bit of ability and a fair few issues to boot. Oh, yeah, she, she's got a heap of ability. She, we, only, we only had a crack at it to her. I think we've only given her four starts in her life. And she won a first two and she won a second one in a class two after winning a maiden by, uh, I think it was you know somewhere between seven and ten lengths. You know, she's just, she's got amazing ability. But she's hard to keep in the slot. She's a very big mare with little pin legs under her and she's got a few issues. So he's had a long spell, um, you know, trying to get over a few of those issues and I've just got her back in work now. Look, high hopes with her, but it'll all depend on how sound she remains. She's, you know, like a lot of people out there with good horses, keeping them sound is, is just as important. Now, here's the one I want to talk about, Richard, Roman Sun. Another second-hand one you got to train. He'd won a couple of races previously for Anthony and Edward Cummings, but he was put away for a long time. So I assume he had some problems back then. Yeah, he's, he's probably always had problems. I think uh, James Cummings had him first and won his first race with him, and then Anthony and Edward won a couple with him. And I think then they started having problems uh, with his soundness. And, you know, he's got a few issues that aren't going to resolve. They're just going to have to be managed. And, um, you know, I was lucky enough to get the horse and, you know, resolve, you, you can resolve his issues for a period of time. And we've done that at least once and got a couple of good wins out of him. He, he broke the track record at Hawkesbury over um, 2,100 metres there um, back in the, the autumn of last year. And, and then, he, then he, we tried to get him up for a spring campaign, but his issues sort of overwhelmed him early. Mm. Uh, just got him back to the track and, as I say, in the slot where he's, you know, he's not worried about his issues and he's feeling good about himself and he's at his right racing weight. And he's starting to, to put together some performances and I thought yesterday was pretty promising from a 2,000-metre perspective. He was doing his best work late in a mile and mm. and uh, we'll step him up to 2,000 now. He's got the chief attribute that nice horses have got to have, Rich. He can really let down. Yeah, he can accelerate. Um, he, he doesn't always, and yesterday he, he ground a little bit, and I think that was because of the, the softer going made it hard for him to accelerate. When the track's a little firmer, he can he can really show some dash. Um, natural stayer, um, you know, he's just a naturally 
athletic stay out and provided we can keep him sound and happy, he'll, be, he'll win his races. Another lightly raced horse called Latin Boy is one of your favourites. You've won five with him already. He's been off the scene for a while. Has he got any problems? Well, he had a problem. He had an ownership dispute. Oh. You know, the, the, the bloke that leased him from the Vart Cummings estate um, was uh, very economical with, with the, the trainer's fees. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, he no longer leases the horse now, and I've, I've leased it with some mates, and uh, we'll get him back to the track. Look, there's, there's races in him too. Here's another one I got from, from James Cummings, actually. Mm. Um James had, you know, given him a few early preps and, you know, he nearly won a maiden and I just got him at the right time and and he's, you know, he's won five races. He's, I think he's the current track record holder of 900 metres at, at Newcastle. Not a terribly high-grade race, but, you know, it's as high as we can get him to and I'm sure there's more wins in him. I think I read somewhere that during that period when some of these second-hand horses were performing for you, you got a few visits from the racing New South Wales integrity people. In fact, <laughs> yes. they were crawling all over the joint. Uh, I, I said that somewhere. I may have overstated that somewhat. They, <laughs> they weren't exactly. They were just doing their routine checks. And, you know, I was a bit sort of amused and bemused by it and thought, well, fair enough. You know, when a bloke's winning a lot of races, you, you know, it's their job to make sure he's doing it the right way. So they do their job. They continue to do it. So, you know, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing for all racing. But um, I continue to, you know, chide them and yeah. <laughs> and, and make jokes at their expense. <laughs> Rich, stand by there. We're going to pause for a break on the podcast. Back in a moment. 2019 English Select Yearling Sales Series is almost upon us, with close to 3,000 yearlings to be offered through the Southern Hemisphere's number one equine auction house. Catalogues for the Sydney Classic Yearling Sale and the Melbourne Premier Sale are now available online at inglis.com.au and in hard copy, while the Easter Preview magazine featuring almost 500 world-class pedigrees is also ready for your perusal. 1,013 horses will be offered at the Classic Sale, beginning at the Riverside Stables on the night of Saturday, February the 9th, directly after the English Race Day at Warwick Farm. In a stunning catalogue, there are relations to 76 stakes winners, including eight group winners, and the progeny of 103 stakes winning mares, including 10 group one winners. Riverside Stables will be hosting sheer quality at the 2019 Classic Yearling Sale. My special guest is Richard Friedman, whose story is well known. He and his four brothers grew up on the hardwick-studded Yass. Rich, your dad, Tony, was a pretty late starter as a horseman because his dad didn't want him to be a horseman. No, I don't think uh, my grandfather... Um thought much about, you know, horses and horse trainers and, and thought there might be better things in life for my dad, which may or may not be true. But, uh, you know, my, my father had a, a rich history on the other side of his family, on his mother's side of, um, you know, jockeys and trainers. And my great-grandfather had won uh, three Melbourne Cups back in the early 1900s. And uh, my great-uncle had, had been apprenticed to um, the Queen's trainer in England and then came back to Australia and trained a horse that ran second in the Melbourne Cup. So we had a bit of a rich history there on that side of the family and it, 
Dad had the bug. He couldn't convince his old man, but when he got old enough to do whatever he wanted, mm. um, he, he took to it. I love the story about your first winner. The horse was called Sitting Bull, and he'd been spelling at the Hardwick Stud, and it was an amazing chain of events that led to Sitting Bull being put back into work and Lee taking out a trainer's licence. Yes, it's, a, it's a, an old story for most people, I think, have heard it these days, but, you know, we, we spelled this old horse, funnily enough, it, it, it came from a trainer called Johnny Mock, who I've since connected with since I've gone to Rose Hill because he, he's the clocker at Rose Hill. Mm. And he told me, he said, you know, I trained that horse. I said, uh, I didn't know that, but, you know, it was quite funny to find out. We were laughing about it. Um, yeah, his name was Sitting Bull and he was, a, he was a grey horse by Royal Yacht and he'd been spelling at the farm for months and months and months and once again, the the owners of the horse had become quite economical with the spelling fees and uh, <laughs> they, they weren't paid and, and my old man told us to get the horse and take it up to the dogger sale at Yash Sale Yards to sell him off for pet food. Mm. Anyway... So we, we we felt a bit sorry for him because he was a nice horse, and we tried him as a we convinced the old man to let us try him as a show jumper because we could sell him for more money. So he let us have a go at that. Well, that didn't work out well. I think he threw Anthony at the first fence at the Yash Show one day and jumped the outside rail and went and kicked the Mercedes, <laughs> and that was the end of that. That was it. <laughs> that was the end of his career at the show grounds. So you know, I think Lee, who was working on the start at the time, said. I don't think it'd be too hard to train a racehorse. Mm. <laughs> old man said, oh, off you go. And uh, he got himself a licence. We had a crack at it, you know, between the, the three of us working together. Michael was still at school. And um, and in the end, I think Anthony was still at school too. I might have just been out. But in the end, we, we took mm. the horse to a Canberra Sunday meeting and backed him off the map. And <laughs> he won by eight and we got enough money to, you know, to... We thought to you know start being trainers because you know Lee and I were at university at the time and we mm. just you know got all this money which we'd never seen before. Uh, went and backed him when we said we took him up to Canterbury for his next run. Backed him there again. Ronnie Quinton rode him, mm. won by a neck, got got more money, and then we just said to the old oh, man, "Oh, we'll just be horse trainers now." He <laughs> said, "Oh, great." He said, "I've just wasted half a million on your education. You're going to be horse trainers." <laughs> yeah, and 140 Group One winners later. Now, yeah, yeah, amazing. Hey, Rich, because of ill health, your elder brother Mark wasn't able to participate in your future ventures uh, with horses, but you, Lee, Anthony, and Michael took the very bold step of setting up shop in Melbourne in 1984 with the dream of establishing a training operation. Now, soon yep, after we you did, did that, you lost your dad, didn't you, at around about that yeah, time? Yeah, we did. We did. It's happy. We, we'd had a crack at training at Warwick Farm in 1983. Mm. We and Anthony moved up there and had it, and I was back down on the farm. I must have had some other things to do or something. And it, Anyway, I was getting horses ready for them, not many, mind you, and uh, sending them up to them at Warwick Farm, and that wasn't working out too well, so we thought, we're going to starve here. So they said, well, if we can't get on Randwick, which we couldn't, because at that time, if you weren't at Randwick, you were camping out. And uh, we said, well, we'll just go to Flemington, which we'd never been to before in our lives. I don't think any of us have ever been to, had been to Melbourne. Anyway, we, we got our winnings out of the Sitting Bull coup and uh, bought ourselves a stable next to the course at Flemington and turned up there and said, well, we'll be training here. And they said, well, who are you? 
<laughs> we, we said, we're the blokes that just bought old Skipper Taylor's place. They said, so what? We said, well, funnily you should say that because there's an old statute in the Victorian uh, property laws that says Flemington Racecourse is crown land and that anyone who owns a stable adjacent to the course has the right to use it for training. So we'll just be using it. <laughs> and, and you know what? They were going to fight it. They were going to fight it. And we had a few contacts down there, one of whom was the late Sir Brian Murray, who was the governor of Victoria because he was from our district. We said, we're in a bit of strife here, Sir Brian. He <laughs> said, well, I'll have a talk to him. <laughs> we talked to him and they said, he probably said to him, look, these blacks won't last five minutes, so just let them do it and, you know, save yourself a lot of trouble. Well, you know, we lasted, we're still, well, Anthony's still there. Yep, same place. Yep. Now, Rich, the achievements of the Friedman brothers over the next 16 or 17 years were spectacular. As I said earlier, getting close to 140 Group 1 winners, the list of champions and outstanding horses goes on and on. Now, let's just, with the time we've got at our disposal, highlight a short list, and I'm going to put your personal favourite on top, naturalism. He won 12... 3.3 million, and I think he ran second in another Group 1, seven more Group 1 races, and he won three of them. Why was he your favourite? Oh, he was just the horse I looked after. I took him to Japan for the Japan Cup, and, you know, we'd sort of bonded before that. And, and during that period, you know, he, he was such an intelligent horse. He, he was a really smart horse. A lot of horses aren't that smart. They're very sensitive, but they're not that smart. But he was smart. And uh, I really just bonded with, with him. He, sadly, he only died last year at the age of 30. And, you know, I, I got the, my last chance to see him was only months before he died. And he looked fantastic. And apparently he'd had a few issues with his feet and he just couldn't couldn't stand on them anymore. He was lying down all the time. So they took the the, uh, the wise decision to, you know, euthanize him. And they buried him. They buried him facing east down there at... Uh, at um, the stud in Maria and, you know, he, he got a good burial. Anyway, he was my favourite and he always will be. Superimpose, I'm sure, is Lee's favourite, along with Maccabi Diva. He can't separate them. Super was a special horse, wasn't he? 20 wins, 32 placings, 5.6 million. And if ever a horse endeared himself to a generation of racegoers in Australia, it was Superimpose. Yeah, he was an absolute superstar. He was a, he was a, he was, in our career, there'd be no more important horse than that because he was the one that put us on the map. Uh, Lee bought him in New Zealand for $40,000 New Zealand and sold him to a, a, a syndicate of, of guys from Melbourne who we, we're still friends with and we, they still have horses in Anthony's stable. I, I must give them a ring. But there, you know, it's been a long association and he just, what he did was phenomenal. He won, you know, any horse that could win the four big miles up here, two Epsoms, two Doncasters, the way he did. I think you called at least a couple of them, Cappy. All of them. And, uh, yeah. all of them. Sorry. Yeah. I apologize. And, uh, and then run second in the Melbourne Cup and fourth in a Melbourne Cup. Mm. And win a Cox Plate at nine years old after winning a Canberra Cup was, he's just a phenomenon. Yeah, that's a good word. Rich, one of my favourites, if I may self-indulge a little bit here, was Mahogany, a little horse of amazing versatility. 43 starts, 19 wins, 
a dozen placings and 3.6 million. He won the Lightning twice at 1,000 metres, Group 1. He won two derbies at 2,400 metres and he got beaten ahead in a Cox Plate, having his first run for six weeks. You know, when we talk about phenomenal horses, he's not very far off the bottom line, is he? No, he's he's another you know enigma and phenomenal horse. But um, you know when you say that, even I look at that and think it's incredible that he was able to do that. But I think the reason that we've had quite a few horses that have done things that are unusual, done things that are you know not uh, not the norm in racing, is because we didn't really have a traditional racing education as a, as as trainers. We we made it up ourselves. Mm. We'd come off a farm, we'd ridden show jumpers and show horses and things like that. And and we didn't have we weren't educated through someone else's big stable with, you know, borrowing their their uh their expertise and their knowledge. We certainly watched other trainers. We watched Colin Hayes and Bart Cummings very closely because, you know, they were setting the standard. And we watched Jeff Murphy and, and some great trainers in Melbourne and we were always, you know, very keen to keep an eye on what T J Smith was doing. But we never had any single influence. So we just made stuff up as we went along. And I think that's been a great strength over the years that we haven't been afraid to, to turn horses from one thing into another thing and, mm. you know, not give up on horses and, and, and just pigeonhole them into a category. So, you know, Mahogany doing that, I think, was probably emblematic of, of an attitude that we had. And I guess if we leave a legacy in horse racing, it'll be... You know, don't get up on good horses and, and don't be frightened to try things. Just as a memory jogger for people listening to the podcast, let me hurtle through a list of Friedman-trained horses during that golden era. Scalacci, Mannerism, Paris Lane, Doremus, Bint Masque, Dan Zero, Durbridge, Merlin, Flying Spur, Poetic King, Encosta de Lago, Gold Ace, Sub-Zero. Which of those 140 Group 1 wins gave you the biggest thrill? Well, me personally, hmm. I think, you know, I, th- I think me personally, when some of Gold Ace's uh, performances were phenomenally broke track records and, and, and I really trained him because he stayed the stable where I was and you know, the other boys left that to me to train him. So I got a great personal satisfaction out of that. I think the, I think the greatest victory for us as a group, um, and I was actually in Sydney at the time. I was still a director of the, of the business, but, you know, a little removed. I, I still think for the Frieden brothers as, as, a, as such, that third win of Maccabi Divas in the Melbourne Cup, I don't know that we'll ever see that again. Uh, I doubt that we will. Uh, she was just a, you know, she's a freak. And, and, and we had our whole families in Melbourne at the races at, Fam- at Flemington at that time. Lee and his children, Anthony and Michael were their children and my children there as well, wives and, you know, extended family, our mum. And, uh, we, uh, we, we just went out in the mountain yard and had a family photo taken with that mare. And, you know, that will probably be the enduring image for all our family. Mm-hmm. People often wondered what role each of you filled. Now, you looked after the Epsom stable, Rich, where Lee liked to keep most of the two-year-olds, so you really 
looked after the babies principally? Yeah, that was probably my m- most of my role through uh, the Friedman brothers' time. Uh, I mean, we, we, we swapped and changed roles a lot. You know, we were, we were never terribly disciplined about who did what. We just did with each horse what we thought was best, and if that suited one particular location or person or something like that, well, that's where that horse would go. So we, we tried to keep it very, um, you know, individualised to the horses as much as you can when you've got a big stable. But, um, yeah, I probably, you know, I got champions, you know, naturalism, scalacci, the ones, mahogany, a lot of those ones he reeled off there. I started them off as two-year-olds and got them going. Probably raced out of my stable as two-year-olds and then they'd go over to Flemington or, and, and later I moved to Caulfield after... Epsom closed down and we, we did much the same thing there but there were always a smattering of other horses that stayed at those stables so it, yeah largely that was my role but you know in the end we all did a bit of it There must have been times when differences of opinion occurred uh, you tend to speak your mind on most matters but Lee as trainer obviously had the last call Well kind of <laughs> I mean, did operate as a, as a as a true partnership. It was a bit unfortunate that at that time we there was no such thing as a partnership license, so we had to just point one person trainer, and and Lee, Lee grasped that role with gusto. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and yeah, look, a lot of the time we did defer to him. He was our older brother, but um, there were a lot of times that there were discussions, and he would have to defer to you know the the, the committee who said no, this is what we should do. And uh, differences of opinion occurred on a daily basis, I can assure you. With training commitments escalating, you've obviously got to regulate your media involvement from here on in. Where can we expect to see you or hear you in 2019? Oh, I'm doing still a bit for Sky. Just on a Wednesday night, I do a, a little show called News Central, which we just sort of yak about the, the news of the week with um, Neil Breen and, and Ray Thomas and Lizzie Jelfs. And, you know, we we uh, we, ju- we just uh, hypothesise and opine on, on on what's happened during the week. So that's a bit of fun. So I'm still doing that with Sky Racing. Um, I still do some stuff with Channel 9 on a Sunday morning on a rotational basis. Uh, I'm still working for Channel 7 on their coverages. Um, they'll change a little bit this year with the Melbourne Cup going to Channel 10, but... Uh, They've still got a very strong influence in, in horse racing. They're, they're basically doing everything else except the Melbourne Cup. So uh, there'll be a strong performer, Channel 7, there. Um, so, yeah, I, I, but I have to limit it down to, you know, the stable now is, is big and I have responsibilities to owners, so they have to come first. And, um, you know, my media will have to take the back seat, but, you know, I'll still do some. About three years before the merge of the STC and the AJC became a reality, you were appointed the Australian Jockey Club's Executive Director of Racing. One of the jobs you had was to deal with all of those Randwick trainers who rented stables from the Australian Jockey Club, and you ran into a few brick walls. And say the least. Yeah, I love the way you uh, uh, you worded it when you finally handed in your resignation. You said, "In the best interests of myself." Uh, and the people involved, the trainers involved, it's best if I move on. Yeah, well, it was best at the time uh, for, <laughs> for all of us, I think. It, uh, you know, I, I was well looked after when I left and, and, you know, I think they all cheered me out the gate. But <laughs> basically what, <laughs> what caused the friction 
was when I got there, and my role to manage those, you know, those trainer relationships, was there, there was not one current uh, rental or license agreement between the AJC and any of its trainers at either Randwick or Warwick Farm. And you, you couldn't imagine for an organisation that big that there were no formal documented uh, licences or, or rental agreements. So I had the unenviable task of having to institute these things. Well, you know, they didn't want to sign them. They didn't want to have any agreements. So, you know, it was, it's, it was quite a, a testing time. But in the end, they all have them. You know, they, by the time I left, they'd all had agreements and, you know, they, so that we'd, we'd got through it all, but it was a pretty... Uh, it was a pretty stressful time and, you know, then they presented me the next task, which was equally daunting and I think that's when the that's when the proverbial, you know, hit the fan and, and I, you know, they said to me, it seems, you seem to be a lightning rod. I said, well, you know, you do keep sending me these tasks and they said, well, you know, it might have got, got beyond the, the point where we can tolerate it because they had board elections coming up and, you know, mm. they're all looking at their, their board positions and how the members viewed everything. So I said, well, that's fine, but, you know, I'm not just leaving. You know, I've made a commitment here. You've made a commitment to me. We've got to honour those commitments, which they did. And you put it down to experience. Yeah, it was a great experience because out of that experience, I started a, another business in, in uh, wireless monitoring and remote control services, which I had something to do with at the AJC because of the, the irrigation systems there and, and how they were you know, manage remotely. And I started that business 10 years ago and now we've grown that business to be the, uh, we, we think we're the largest in the, the wireless remote uh, monitoring and control space in Australia, in the, uh, particularly in the government and, and large commercial space. So it's been, a, it was a, you know, out of something bad, something good happens. Well, Rich, the FBI is still alive and well. Scattered all over the world. Lee's in Singapore, where he has just won a trainer's premiership. What a comeback. Michael's back at Randwick after a stint in Hong Kong. And Anthony's in Melbourne, where he has a lot of nice horses around him, including Santa Anna Lane. And you've got about 30 in work. So uh, it's full steam ahead. Yes, it is. Uh, you know, I want to keep the number about 30 if I can. Um, I'd rather sort of lift the, the quality of the 30. I know every trainer's trying to do that, but, you know, I'm working away at it. It's, it's hard to do that. You know, when I started, it was easy. You only had the horses you had, and, you know, I could place them and keep the strike rate high. Once you once you start getting larger numbers of new horses through, it's very hard to keep strike rates up there because a lot of those horses obviously are not going to make the grade and, they're, you know, they're not going to win races. But it's just a matter of working through the, the process, looking after your owners and, and making sure they're, you know, they get what they need as far as information and, and performance is concerned. And, you know, I think we can, I can still do it. And in conclusion, pick one of the 30 in the stable currently that punters could follow in the immediate future. Would it be Roman Sun? Well, I think Roman Sun, he will win his races. I think, uh, I think you can follow a, a filly called Verlan, who uh, who's only won one race, but she seems to have come back very well. And, and maybe little Pumpkin Pie, who recently joined the stable, and she seems to be going well too. Rich, I've enjoyed it immensely, mate. Thank you for joining us on the podcast, and I'll catch up with you soon. Pleasure, Tappy. And this podcast has been produced by Supernova Sound. 
Monday, April 8th until Wednesday, April 10, 2019 are the dates for the English Australian Easter Yearling Sale, the most important and influential yearling sale in this part of the world. While the final catalogue isn't released until January, it's shaping to be one of the best ever. There's a three-quarter brother to the Autumn Sun, a full brother to Merchant Navy, a half-brother to Shoals, a full brother to Brazen Bow, a three-quarter brother to Lankan Rupee, a full sister to John Snow, a half-brother to Unforgotten, a half-sister to Catchy, a half-brother to Dundeal, a half-brother to I Victory, a half-sister to She Will Reign, a three-quarter brother to Seamus Award, and a half-brother to Pino. Stallions with progeny in the sale are Schnitzel, Fastnet Rock, I Am Invincible, Reduce Choice, Sebring, Piero, and Written Tycoon. There's a strong international flavour with sires like Lord Canaloa, Deep Impact, Frankel and Tappet. There are 42 siblings to Group 1 winners and the progeny of 35 Group 1 winning mares. The preview magazine is available now and the final catalogue will be out in January. <laughs>